So I'm curious about, uh, I think you said a lot of time that we learn from failure and that's maybe give you a lot of insight as what could be uh, lead to more success in designing process. But I guess was any direction you sought out would work very well, uh, but when you're testing, it was surprising to you, there was surprising result. Just you didn't expect it, maybe in the modeling or simulation, you expect a certain performance, but in empirical result, which is something counterintuitive to you or surprising? I mean, I don't know if I could pinpoint a single time, but it, that's a that's a uh, ubiquitous theme in our lab, and, and I know many other labs too, is that, you know, if, if you develop a model for something and you build that thing and it works exactly like the, the model said it would, that's great but you don't really learn from that, right? It just tells you that you already knew everything about it to begin with. And so, you know, a lot of times, you know, younger students will come in into the lab and, and will, you know, get frustrated that they are building a, a mechanism, an actuator, whatever, and they think they understand the, the underlying physics and then they go and build it. And it's, you know, the model is 20, 30, 50% off of what their, what their experimental results say. Great. You know, that means that you have to track that, you have to understand why is it, why is it diverging? What is it about the way that you built it or where are the assumptions failing or whatever it is? Um, and, and so I think that this, there's A, there's that mindset of, you know, recognizing that, you know, any interesting problem, there's going to be all sorts of unknowns and finding the, the sort of the, the, the reason behind those unknowns is, is the fun part. And B, you know, for us in particular, this is demanded that we have the ability to very rapidly iterate experimentally uh, because, you know, some of the things that we might study, we, we don't we don't know. We don't have the, the full picture of, of of how these things should work before we actually build them. And we we have decent intuition. We have decent models. We have, you know, an understanding of the literature, whatever. But. But you gotta, you gotta have the ability to really, uh, cycle through, you know, iteration after iteration. And, and, and that's part of the fun. I mean, building, we're all engineers, right? So building mm -hmm. is fun. Um, but I can, of course, appreciate that this is also frustrating. You know, if you spend hours or days or weeks building a device and it, and it fails, that's a hard thing to teach a young engineer is that that's okay. You know, turn that into a success by really understanding what's going on. Why did it fail? How can we make this better? How can we make it work? You know, the second or third or fourth time you build it. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of psychology involved in in, in that to, to sort of push us towards being comfortable yeah. with failure uh, as and not just comfortable with it, but embracing it and, and having it be a natural part of our process. I really like this point, and maybe a quick question here about um, what you say, because I think maybe, I don't know if you agree or not, but there's a tendency sometimes, especially in academic environment, the pressure to get a result. And sometimes failure and result is not accepted at all, and you have to publish. And uh, Because if you make mistakes or failure, that means you're wasting time and, uh, and resources. Of course, I agree with what he said, but do you think that's something... Well, well, and still in academic environment, we still we have to shift to this mentality that you have to to, to embrace what you mentioned, since yeah. we have this publishing parish. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's a hard one because you know it's easy for me to say because I don't know I've done this for ten whatever it is fifteen years now, 
and so I can, it's easy for me to say like, oh, just build it. And if it doesn't work, we'll learn it, learn about it and build it again. And who cares if it takes another year or whatever, right? Uh, but for, you know, for a younger student that, that is trying to make a name for themselves, I, I totally, I, I get that. And, and, uh, in particular, you know, as time goes on, it only seems to be increasing the sort of pressure to, you know, ramp up, you know, productivity, whatever that means and, and sort of accelerate your research outputs, um, because everybody else is. So if you don't, then you're not going to keep up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it does, it, it, it forces us to think deeply about the, the, the goal of whatever the research topic we have. What is the device that we're trying to make supposed to do? How can we, uh, you know, can we identify things that are probably going to be hard? Can we identify things that we could have sort of early, you know, early good results with? And so, so I think there's some design of the research process as well that could help alleviate some of these concerns. But I think that, you know, I would push back a little bit on this uh, in, in the sense that, you know, if, if the, the goal is not publications, I mean, it, it is because if you have a publication then presumably you have something interesting to write about, the goal is, is, the, is the basic science and, under, and understanding of the basic science. So if our goal was just publications, we could, you know, choose a, a, a topic, a, a device we wanted to build that would be easy to build and we could write a paper about it and be happy with that. And, and that's, that's fine. But that might tend us towards choosing problems, which are sort of fast and not easy necessarily, but, but quick, right. And, and maybe put, might push us away from the hard problems. And I think that would be a, that would be um, very unfortunate. I'd like, thank you for this uh, great answer. And I totally agree with you. And we have one question before going to audience question is, but how we can access this beneficial geometric and material nonlinearities to have interesting information? Since you're designing, mentioning designing is very challenging and sometimes it tends to fabrication also more challenging. So I don't know how you can understand from the nature what could be the beneficial geometric and material nonlinearities. Or maybe you can tweak it in a different way. It just doesn't exist in nature. So I don't know how we see this coupling, this geometric nonlinearities and the material nonlinearities to have this interesting deformation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I have a clean answer for that, but I think that the just embracing, it kind of goes back to my previous comment about, you know, choosing hard problems. I mean, mm -hmm. if I can, if I can find a, if, if I can find a linear time invariant model for a system that I'm building or analyzing or whatever, great. But you know, the world is not linear, right? And so, so having, uh, you know, embracing the fact that I, I have to recognize that my models, my devices are going to, are going to likely exhibit some level of nonlinearity. That's one thing. But I mean, I think that the, the real question is like, okay, well, where does nonlinear, nonlinear behavior crop up in, in natural or synthetic systems and, and how can we understand it and embrace it? So, so I think that there is, um, there's a number of, of uh, you know ideas that I that I have in that realm. So one, for example, is um, there is a team that I'm involved with, which is exploring uh, ultra fast motions in biological and synthetic systems. Uh, uh, this is a, a project that's uh, led by a collaborator, Sheila Paddock, at Duke, and and she's been studying, uh, for lack of a better word, I guess, nonlinearity or or power amplification or or whatever in biological systems for years. So 
So I think that there, there are many systems in nature which unsurprisingly exhibits a great de de deal of nonlinearity. And that's not just in terms of the mechanisms that they, they have, you know, how, how I can sort of rapidly trigger a jump or, uh, you know, or, or, or a punch or whatever by, um, rapidly, slowly storing and rapidly releasing energy through some nonlinear latching mechanism, et cetera. That, that's one aspect of it, but, but understanding nonlinearity in terms of, of control, in terms of, um, you know, not just developing a, a sort of controller that could do something interesting with a nonlinear system, but actually leveraging that nonlinearity, for example, to push us further towards autonomy, to be able to, you know, change, uh, change control modes from a, you know, nice controlled motion to, some chaotic oscillation that's going to sort of get us out of the jam. So, so I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I have a sort of clean answer of how to leverage this other than to embrace it and to not necessarily fall into the trap of let's try to linearize around, around some equilibrium point or configuration or whatever. That's fine. Uh, but, but again, the world is nonlinear. Let's try to understand how we can, and you know, there's, there's lots of examples. In it going to the material side, so I was mentioning before that uh, one of the great things about the, the recent push in soft robotics is that it that it you know brings uh, so, you know uh, material scientists closer to the field of robotics. You know, there's a, a whole group of studies in, in metamaterials. How can we understand how uh, the the sort of let's say micro or, or mesostructure of various materials could dramatically modify their bulk properties, uh, the sort of macroscopic properties and, you know, through buckling or through, uh, you know, other sort of energy storage and release mechanisms. Uh, so let's, let's explore that. Let's, let's mm. figure out where, you know, I think that there's a lot of sort of connecting the dots we can do between a behavior we might see and what are the underlying materials properties or just sort of lumped parameter properties that we might want. And then connecting the dots with our material science friends to see uh, are there solutions uh, in structured materials, in uh, you know kinematic linkage mechanisms, in uh, things that make or break contact? Um, you know how you know this, this has come up a little bit, you know, outside of soft robotics as well. Not a little bit, come up a lot in, in um, the manipulation communities and the uh, locomotion communities. Things which make or break contacts. Things which uh, you know, go from unloaded to loaded. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's countless instances in robotics in which there are, um, discontinuities or nonlinearities. Uh, and, and let's, let's embrace that. Let's not try to, um, you know, do feedback linearization on everything.